Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast revolves around the 26 and 26 Detroit Pistons, who are now 4 and 0 since the Blake Griffin trade. Uh, I solicit my co-host Ben Gulker's thoughts on the trade, on Stanley Johnson's improved play, and the player that can fill the Boban-sized hole in Ben's heart. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the uh, Detroit Bad Boys posts. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. Uh, in order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which is the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and I am joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Riding a winning streak. Doing good. How about yourself, Laz? I'm doing extremely well, and so are the Pistons. They are now uh, 4-0 since the Blake Griffin trade. Um, We're recording this on Monday in the wake of the 111-91 win over the Portland Trailblazers, who looked like a team like four games deep into an East coast trip on a back to back. (laughs) So, and obviously the, uh, the Pistons biggest news of the week is the Blake Griffin trade. I've talked a lot and written a lot about the Blake Griffin trade. Uh, Ben, I'm sure that people want to hear your opinion. What do you think so far? Yeah. So um, I was initially pretty lukewarm. I was, I think like everybody caught completely off guard. The Pistons did. A heck of a job keeping it under wraps until like what literally minutes before the trade was finalized. Um, I mean, there's no question in my mind that this makes the team better this year, next year, and probably a year after that. You've got two and a half years of Blake Griffin's prime, and um, you know, as as medical technology advances, we're seeing guys be productive you know, into their early thirties and sometimes it's even into their mid thirties. Um, that's more common now than it was even 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously they're better and just in terms of fun, like just, just the enjoy, just the enjoyment that I get from watching the Pistons because, you know, on, on any given play, something, something really amazing could happen. Right. I mean, when is the last time that's been true about the Pistons? The fun factor is is way up. Um, I'm still I still have some concerns. Um, I think in terms of you know how good can this team be? The way that I've been thinking about this is kind of by way of an analogy, right? So you look at those Cle- or Cleveland um, Clippers teams when they were at their absolute best, right? I think you can say probably one or two years, they were legit contenders. You've got Chris Paul, one of the best point guards of the generation, right, in his prime. You've got pre-any injury Blake Griffin, and you've got DeAndre Jordan in his prime. And and that wasn't quite enough, right? Compare that to what I think you assume the core is going to be for the next few seasons now around Blake Griffin. You've got Reggie Jackson, post-injuries. You've got 
Blake Griffin post injuries, which are, you know, hopefully not a recurring theme. And then you've got Andre Drummond in his prime, who I think has been the best player on the floor the last two games. Um, so I, I think, you know, you've, you're probably looking at a team that's like 48 to 50 wins. And I think, you know, your, your level of contentment with that kind of roster is probably going to have a lot to do with how you feel about this trade over the long term. Because I think, you know, given the size of Blake's contract, I mean, I think he's going to be making $39 million when he's 32 years old in the last year of that deal. Um, the size of Andre Drummond's contract. Um, you've got rookies who are going to be looking for their first payday in Stanley Johnson and Luke Kennard in the next few years. And then, of course, a decision to be made about Reggie Jackson. All that to say, it's going to be hard to add a lot of other key pieces um, because any flexibility they have had prior to this trade is certainly gone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on if you as a fan are, you know, content with that being the team for the next three seasons and like you're good with that, then I, I think there's a lot to like about this trade. Um, if you're one of the fans who is kind of like either go big or go home, like either build a contender or tank and bottom out. Um, then I don't, I don't think you're going to be very happy with this trade because I don't, I don't think anyone would say they're anything close to a contender. And I don't think they have a lot of, or a lot of resources to get there. So anyway, that's kind of a long way of saying short term. I think it's obviously good. I think they're obviously better now than they were. I think, um, Losing Avery Bradley was addition by subtraction, and I, I think that's probably been overshadowed because of Blake Griffin. But Luke Kennard and Reggie Bullock have been absolutely fantastic. Galloway was good uh, tonight. Um, so I think just getting rid of those Avery Bradley 18-footers is, is a really good thing. Um, but over the long term, there's some serious concerns. I mean, there's it, it's, it's really hard to see how this team gets to contention. Uh, and it's hard to see how they're relevant much beyond maybe three or four years from now. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts about the trade as a whole. No, that's a, that's a really good summation in my opinion. I think you've definitely hit the nail on the head. The best way to think about this trade is in, uh, two distinct pieces, the short term, which is roughly the next 20 months or so, um, this season and the next, and then beyond that, what's, what Blake will look like after he turns 30 give or take. And so the in the short term, it appears to definitely be working for the Pistons. They're Like I said, they're 4-0. Um, they look on track to be a playoff team this year, which I think uh, critics of the trade would say would be like the main thrust behind accomplishing this. So you make the playoffs this year, Stan Van Gundy doesn't get fired, etc. But uh, like you said, they look like a solid 48-50 win team. And that's definitely a higher ceiling than we've seen than previous teams have had under Stan Van Gundy. And so that's that's a good thing. That's undoubtedly a good thing. How long that ceiling persists, how many games Blake plays a year, um, how they add more talent, those are all concerns I think that will be more apparent 20 months from now. But um and they're and you know they're very apparent. But at the same time, I'm trying to do this myself and I encourage other Pistons fans to just, you know, enjoy the next 20 months of Blake Griffin. Like you, yeah. you never had a, you we very rarely had a guy like this in Detroit in the last decade. 
And, you know, just as long as the ride goes, enjoy it for now. We can, when everything crashes, we we can talk about it later. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I I was thinking about tonight because I think Reggie Bullock has just been so crazy efficient. He's been healthy this season and a lot of fun to watch. Like my thought tonight as I was thinking about recording was Stan Van Gunny is going to have to find a handful of Reggie Bullocks over the next couple of seasons, right? Like Bullock's making two and a half million dollars a year and is, is producing like a starting caliber player. Um, so he's going to have to pull some wizardry. I think there is some reason to be a little bit optimistic about that. I think some of Stan's best signings have been those smaller scale signings like DJ Augustine comes to mind as one that was, you know, really cost effective. Reggie Bullock has been really cost effective. Anthony Tolliver has been really cost effective. Um, it's been the big ones that he's whiffed on. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe he will surprise us and, and come up with two or three guys like that over the next couple of years that will really round out the roster. And I think that's kind of what you have to hope for. If you uh, listen to certain commenters on DBB, you'd know that uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is Stan Van Gundy's best draft pick. And maybe we can find another Spencer Dinwiddie type of guy and, you know, hold on to him this time or not be pressured to uh, develop him this time around and have, you know, another nice piece to build around that team. That's definitely one way I think that we could find more Reggie Bullocks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the draft history has been suspect so far, but Kennard was certainly proving to be a good pick. Stanley has been hit and miss, but um, I think has looked better since the trade. Um, you know, I don't know if there was something about uh, the trade that has made things click for Stanley. Maybe there was something about the previous roster construction that wasn't working, but um, he's looked better. I mean, he's still not shooting the ball great, but he's looked much more engaged and he's looked like just on the little um, – cutaway clips that they do in between plays you see him engaging with Blake Griffin a lot you see him talking those are things I don't remember seeing out of Stanley much in the past so yeah I mean the draft is going to have to be productive they're going to have to avoid the the Ellenson picks right the 18 year olds who are four years away and and try to get the guys who can contribute sooner rather than later yeah so I want to I'm going to pull it back a little bit I want to talk about Stanley some more but first I want to ask you What's the uh, what's the biggest difference you've seen on the court between the Pistons with Blake Griffin and, and the Pistons without him? Like what what kind of impact? What what's the biggest impact you've seen Blake Griffin make on the court? Yeah, man, that's hard. Um, what I was thinking about tonight during the game was it almost looks like a group of guys playing pickup basketball at the Y, right? Like there's the one superstar and then four guys because they've had so little practice time that the offense is essentially give the ball to Blake or put Blake in a pick and roll. And, that, and that's about it. I, I think the thing he does and this sounds so cliche, but I think it, it's fitting is he commands the attention of the defense, right? I mean, whether it's in the post, I think Portland played him pretty well in the post tonight. I think you had some of that up on Twitter tonight too. They really sat on him in the post, but, um, and then when he's in the pick and roll, he's a, he's a better ball handler than I, I had realized. Um, he just commands attention. The defense is locked in on him in a way that, you know, the Pistons haven't had a guy, an individual guy who commands that kind of attention probably since Grant Hill. Um, so that makes life easier for the Reggie Bullocks of the world, the Luke Kennards of the world, the Anthony Tollivers of the world. Um, and I think it's going to allow Andre Drummond 
to be, I don't know how to say this, a, a little less pressured to be involved in the offense, right? Because I think Stan did it, has done a good job of involving him in a productive way this season. But Dre has put up monster numbers since the Blake trade because I think he's able to just sort of he's able to just sort of fl- float around rather than um, you know have the ball seventy feet from the basket and, and try to work a whole bunch of dribble handoffs, right? Like he's able to to dive to the basket when when Griffin has the ball, or he's able to crash the offensive glass a little bit harder, and those are things that he's he's really good at. Um, so that's what I see. I mean, I, I see a defense. Defenses have to respect respect Blake Griffin. They have to respect his three-point shot when he's got the ball in his hands. They have to respect him in the post, and they have to respect him off the dribble. And that that's going to pay dividends for the role players, for sure. For me, I think the biggest impact I've seen is the command he respects from the referees. You know, we've never oh, yeah. we've never had a guy. We very rarely had a guy who can draw those uh, those BS foul calls that it seems that everybody else in the league can draw. And so having a guy like that who uh, puts pressure on the defense and uh, gets easy points, and as Stan Van Gundy pointed out, every every free throw is an opportunity to set your defense as well. And the Pistons are better half-court defense than a transition defense. And so uh, producing easy points on one end and preventing them on the other, I think, is a really big, it's a big, small impact of the, uh, of the Blake Griffin trade, one that I think the Pistons have sorely missed in the last couple of years. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, the one thing I didn't love tonight about Blake's game was the seven three-point attempts. Some of them I thought were fine. I thought a couple times he just settled, though. Um, yeah, it's tough. But that was my... Once you hit your first three, it's tough to stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's tough to stop. Uh, the, the first game, the game against the Grizzlies, where I think he essentially just put the team on his back, um, the thing that just leapt out at me was his... Just sort of he, how tenaciously he attacked the rim. Um, th- that does result in free throw attempts. It, it results in easy buckets and all the things you pointed out. I think um, I would really like to see Van Gundy scheme toward that because I think Blake shooting or jump shooting Blake Griffin is not as effective as attack the basket relentlessly Blake Griffin. Um, and, you know, seven three-pointers is, is just a little too much. Three for seven is good. Don't get me wrong. But I think he can be more beneficial when he's attacking the rim. I, I agree. Uh, one guy who has definitely looked more aggressive and looked like he's attacking the rim more is Stanley Johnson. Um, to me, Stanley looks like he's playing downhill for the first time in his career. I think he was greatly helped by uh, the career-high point game he had against Cleveland, where Cleveland played absolutely no transition defense and let him get out in the open court a lot. And that gave him a lot of confidence. But even in a game like tonight, where he didn't have his most uh, productive game offensively, he uh, he was doing a really great job of like pestering C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard off screens. He was working his way through all the off-ball actions that Portland does a lot of times um, to get C- guys like C.J. open shots. Um, he's still Stanley is still a below-average three-point shooter, and. Uh, you have to hold out hope that that will eventually turn because he's still only 21. But um, have you, have you seen anything been in his game since the trade? That's kind of, it's kind of snapped. That's kind of snapped into place. No, I think you're right. He looks way more confident, right? Just the eye test. He just looks confident. He looks like he believes in himself and it, it could be as simple as having a game like he had against Cleveland where, 
you know, anyone who's ever played basketball at any level, when you have a career night, confidence is a real thing and it does matter. Um, it, it matters in any job. It matters in any career. It certainly matters in sports. Um, to me, you know, Stanley, he was at the point at, at various points this season where he looked like he was sort of ready to give up on this this experiment. And I don't know if it was friction with Van Gundy or not believing in the system or, or whatever, but he just looked so disengaged. Um, to me, he's looked very engaged the last several games. I, Like I said, they've, they've cut to him several times, um, if you've been watching the Fox Sports broadcast, where he's been jawing with his teammates in a positive way. And that's not something I recall seeing a lot of from him in the past. So, you know, I, I think his game, like I haven't seen – him necessarily do anything differently, you know, other than the, the Cleveland game, the ball went in the basket. So that helps a lot. Um, yeah. Playing downhill is a good way to describe it. I think um, Kelster made a comment. I don't remember if it was last game or two games ago where um, Stanley went to the rim early in the game and Kelster observed that he looked like he was trying to avoid contact or, um, either avoid contact or trying too hard to get the foul. Um, and then in the second half later in the game, Kelser observed that when he went to the room, he was trying to make the basket, right? Like he, he was actually driving in order to convert. He wasn't worried about what the defender is doing. And I think that might be part of what you're getting at. He, he looks like he's playing basketball. He looks like he's out of his head a little bit and trying to do the things he knows he's capable of doing. Yeah. I wonder if the, uh, the lack of, of leadership uh, on the team, losing two important vocal vets like Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris in the trade. I wonder if Stanley feels like he has to be more vocal and he has to uh, be, he has to, he has to step up. And if that engaged him in addition to health, you know, he was dealing with a hip injury for a while and he does appear to be fully healthy at this time, which is good. Um, but to your point about him being more, uh, being more vocal on the sidelines, being more vocal with, with Andre and the guys on the bench. I wonder if uh, the trade had something to do with that. Yeah, that's a good observation that hadn't occurred to me. I mean, Tobias, I think, certainly had emerged as the on-court leader in Reggie's absence. Um, so certainly there was there's a vacuum to fill. And Blake probably fills that role eventually. But Yeah, but he needs, his, he needs to get his bearings first. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, Andre Drummond was named uh, player of the week for his performances last week. I think he, uh, he averaged something insane, like 19 points and 19 rebounds and three steals for the entire week, which was uh, three wins over the Grizzlies, the Cavs and Miami. Um, he's been playing like a madman. He had two separate 2020 games. Um, he got recognized as an all-star earlier this week earlier last week, which feels like it happened an eternity ago because I think it happened <laughs> the day before the Blake Griffin trade. But uh, this is, this is I think, the, the first time that the Pistons have had two top 40 NBA players in a while. Um, it's, really, it's really interesting to see the kind of effect that Blake Griffin has on Andre. He, he plays playing more freely, I think. And it's interesting to see that uh, what they're doing – with Andre on the court with, court with no Blake because they're returning to the the dribble handoffs and the motion offense 
that they were utilizing earlier in the scene, but like you observed, without all the Avery Bradley 18-footers. And that's that's been effective. And they can also run that against bench lineups um, and play. And they've been playing Blake at the five and running uh, Andre at the five, um, staggering them. So all one of them is always on the court. Um, I just want to... I, I don't really have a question. I just want to appreciate the what we've seen from Andre Drummond uh, since the Blake Griffin trade. It's weird to think that um, the best part of the of acquiring a top thirty NBA player is that um, we we unlock a top forty NBA player in Andre Drummond. Yeah, I think you know there's certainly something to there's certainly something here to think about. Like you know, early in Dre's career, I'm thinking sort of after his rookie season, um, up until last season, it seemed to me like just the way he approached the game, he, he felt like he needed to be involved somehow as a focal point of the offense. And last year they force fed him the ball in the post to the, to a fault. Right. I can't help but wonder if, um, acquiring a guy like Blake is sort of a, it's sort of the right time where Andre has maybe matured enough to realize that, he's not the best offensive player on the roster and he doesn't need to be in order to be a very good player. If that makes any sense, because his play tonight was fantastic as well. 17 points, 17 boards, five assists, three blocks and a steal. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic stat line. He was, he he was just absolutely dominant inside uh, against Portland tonight. And, you know, in my opinion, I think probably the best player on the floor the last two games, um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe this frees up Andre Drummond to be the kind of Andre Drummond that some of us has been hoping he would be, which is the guy who could become a, a sort of a dominant force without feeling pressure to be a post scorer or um, the guy who's the go-to guy on the offense. Yeah, you could definitely see, I think, without uh, Reggie Jackson, Andre was you could see the the hook shots starting to creep back into his game. You could see uh, he was starting to face up and attack a little bit more uh, when before he'd be, he'd be looking to hit cutters and everything. I think he definitely felt the pressure of the Pistons being so inept offensively without Reggie and w- with no Blake. And I definitely think that with a guy like Blake and still no Reggie, and we'll see how this goes when Reggie comes back, but I definitely he definitely uh, feels like he feels less pressure to be uh, an offensive dynamo. And I think that's, that's good for him as you, as you pointed out. Well, and I think that's his best case scenario as a player. I think he just doesn't have the school, the tools offensively to be a dominant offensive player with the ball in his hands, but I think he can still have a big impact on the offense. I mean, 17 points, 22, 20, 20 20s. I mean, that's a fantastic impact on the offense without necessarily having the ball in your hands a lot. And I hope he can just come to relish that role because I think he will be best for the team in that sort of a role. I think the uh, the continued success of the team will play uh, a large factor in how satisfied he is with that role. Yeah, yeah, that's for fair. better or worse. And you know, getting yeah, to be an all star and getting stuff like getting to be player of the week um, that helps a lot uh, mentally for a guy Absolutely. who's uh, you know glorified grunt work but exceptional at glorified grunt work um so ben you live in michigan you're a little bit closer to the piston situation than i am i'm I'm in north carolina 
Um, there was definitely one impact of the Blake Griffin trade that I'd noticed um, from my spot in North Carolina, and that is LCA seems to be a lot fuller and a lot louder. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more. It seems like there's a lot more casual interest in the team. My mom, uh, after the trade, texted me to ask if I was excited about Blake Griffin, and I was surprised that she even knew who Blake Griffin like was. <laughs> in addition to uh, that, the trade like went down. So, uh, what do you? Being in Michigan, what's the feel around the Pistons right now? What are you hearing about the Pistons that's different? Yeah, the same same thing. I mean, my parents have been Pistons fans my whole life too, and they, they had sort of given up on this team after Reggie got hurt, but they've watched, I think, just about every minute since Blake Griffin was acquired. Um, you know, my Facebook feed with all of my local acquaintances and friends, I mean, just blew up with <laughs> with Blake Griffin as a Piston um, from people who I didn't know even cared about the NBA. So I think that's true. Uh, and I think, you know, I think it's always the case. There's always going to be a short-term bump in excitement and, and sales, right? Ticket sales, jersey sales. I think they men- mentioned this a game or two ago on the broadcast. You know, they sold out of their Blake Griffin jerseys in an hour or something like that. Um, I think in order to sustain it, they've got to win, um, but I think they can win. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think if you're Tom Gores, you're probably okay with this, right? Because um, butts and seats is good for your franchise. It's making you money. It's generating excitement. And, you know, this looks like a lock for the playoffs, I mean, certainly they're trending that direction right now. If they're healthy next year, if they're healthy the year after that, that's a good thing. And I think that's going to generate interest. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think Detroit, I, I think the the city will be able to get behind a winning team, even if they're not a real contender, right? I think, I think the city will be able to embrace that. I think they can embrace and cheer for and celebrate a team that's winning 48 games and playing hard and playing in a way that's a lot of fun to watch. And in addition to that, a couple playoff appearance appearances will definitely ease the uh, transition into tank mode inevitably. Like when when this thing you know falls apart and when uh, when the Pistons have to reload from this era, I think a couple playoff appearances, some good memories in LCA will definitely uh, engender a fan base that will stick around during those tough times. Whereas you know now. If uh, if they hadn't been able to complete this trade and um, Stan Van Gundy had been fired and a tank job had begun, I, that play, place would be a graveyard. And I don't think that's good optics for for the team. That's not good optics for the city, and uh, that's not very profitable for Tom Gores. So I'm yeah, as selfish as that is. I, um, I'm glad that that was that definitely had to be a part of why uh, Blake Griffin is a piston. Um, oh yeah, I I totally agree with you. So before before we go, I want to pour one out for Tobias Harris, um, a guy who was a consummate professional. Uh, he was a class act and a great human being, uh, in addition to being a really good basketball player in Detroit. And uh, I want to pour one out for Avery Bradley, who um, he played well for 20 or so games and then was <laughs> asked to do a little too much on offense and uh, it wasn't his fault. He didn't perform, I think, to the level of expectations in Detroit. Well, it was, but it wasn't. And lastly, I want to pour one out for Boban Marjanovic, Ben's favorite player, who was uh, <laughs> was treated a little unfairly, I think, by uh, by the coaching staff and the fan base here. 
So Ben, uh, who who are you going to adopt as your piston now without Boban? Oh man, I don't know if I have one yet. It, it feels like it's too soon. I, you know, it, it, to be fair, to, to be fair to me, like eighty percent of my Boban love is just me screwing around. <laughs> like I just, it's Boban. I think was an effective backup center more than he more than he could. Uh, demonstrate here in Detroit because he didn't get to play enough. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just me being a homer. I, it, how can you not love Boban though, right? Like the Bobby and Toby show, like the big seven foot four goofy looking dude. I just gravitated toward him. So yeah, I I, I don't think, I don't think there is going to be another Boban, at least not this season. Oh man, that's unfortunate. We'll have to, we'll have to hold tryouts during the off season <laughs> to find you a new Boban. It's hard though because you have to be like seven four and from some Eastern European country that I can't pronounce. So it's a small, it, it's a small pool of eligible applicants. No, Ben, we we will find you a match. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up, uh, the Pistons have already defeated Portland tonight, Monday night. They will play Brooklyn at home on Wednesday, the Clippers at home on Friday. Uh, that'll be an interesting game. And they'll play at Atlanta on Sunday. Uh, ben, how many games should the Pistons win this week? Oh, man. I feel like they could win all of them. I really do. I don't feel like there's anyone there. I mean, the Clippers, who knows what could happen in that game. Um I think in order to do that, though, they have to figure out at least a couple sets with Blake Griffin because, um, you know, like it, it, this was not to overtalk this, but like tonight the Pistons won by 20. I think that was the final score. But watching them offensively, like it wasn't pretty at times, like it got really ugly. Um, so I'd like to say that they can win all of those games. There's a couple really bad teams there that they should beat just by showing up, I think, the way that they're playing right now. Um, but they need to get a, a couple really effective sets um, with Blake Griffin in place in order to in order to make it happen. Going, I think six and one since the trade would be a, a really that'd be a really nice record. Um, yeah, absolutely. and you know, after the Atlanta game, they play New Orleans on a back to back at home, and then they head uh, they play Atlanta uh, two days after that, and then it's the All Star break, right? Like we only have this week and then another half week until the all-star break and um, Andre will have to attend for, uh, for the festivities, but there will definitely be time, I think for the Pistons to implement uh, stuff that will take more advantage of, of Blake Griffin's skill set in the future. Yeah. And in thinking about the all-star break, we've been saying here, like if the Pistons could limp into the all-star break at 500, the playoffs were still doable. They're not going to be limping, I don't think. I mean, they could they could be surging in a, f- a few games over 500, and Reggie's not back yet, so they're they're in a lot better place than they were a week ago. So uh, the Pistons, I think they're tied with Philadelphia right now, and I think the Philly has the tiebreaker over them. So Philadelphia is technically in the eighth seed right now, and Pistons are in the the ninth seed. Uh, when we record on Sunday, will uh, will the Pistons be a playoff team? They ought to be. Yeah, I mean, they ought to be. That's what I like to hear. I haven't looked at who Philly plays uh, this week, but um, they did not look great in their win against the uh, against the Heat on Friday night, I believe. And so I'm, I'm eager to see uh, some more Philly losses. I will say that much. 
All right, Ben. Thanks. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Um, the the Super Bowl kind of messed with our timing a little bit. Um, I proposed, you know, recording at eleven o'clock at night, and uh, that was my <laughs> fault. I shouldn't have even attempted that. I'll, I'll know that. Hashtag after. dad life. Yeah. Man. Old man. Life. Old man Ben. Not after ten. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's only nine thirty seven now, so I got you out before ten. So That's all right. I'm I'm already in my PJs, man. I'm ready to go. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>